Amen. Well, good morning. It's good to see you all here. And uh, just let you know, I'm not, uh, not trying to set a new trend or be lazy this morning. I'd spare you the, the, uh, the un- not-so-glamorous details. I have a strained tendon in my foot. So if you'll grant me the grace to sit as I preach, um, I'll do my best to stay put. We'll see how that goes. And, uh, and so hopefully we'll roll on as normal. Glad you're all here. Um, we're going to be in 1 John chapter 3 in just a moment. If you want to go ahead and turn there in your Bible on your phone, tablet, or gadget. And as always, if you don't own a copy of God's Word, we have Bibles under the seats around you. Um, Be sure it's a black hardback Bible, otherwise it might belong to somebody else. But if it is one of the black hardback Bibles, that's our free gift to you. We want you to have a copy of God's Word. Uh, 1 John chapter 3 is where we'll be in just a minute as we continue on uh, in the sermon series. And so Um, What I want to do, first of all, is just kind of remind you what we're doing on Sunday mornings right now. We've got about five weeks left, and uh, and so we've been going through a sermon series entitled Church on Mission. What does it mean to be a church on mission, and how does the mission that we're on connect with every ministry that we do here as a church, and more importantly, with every individual in the church? And so along the way through the sermon series, we've been able to introduce you to uh, different team ministries and team leaders I'm um, actually get a chance to introduce you to two team leaders in just a few minutes who will come up on the stage. And so we've been connecting everything that we do as a church, as Christ followers in the church, with this, this mission that we're on to make disciples of the nations. And what we're learning uh, last week, the week before, and even this week is this, that until we learn how to be on mission within the church, we'll be ineffective being on mission outside of the church. And we're going to see that explicitly in the words of Jesus this morning, that our mission outside the church begins with, is fueled by and empowered by the way we do the mission within the church. And so this morning, we're going to be looking at this, this command to love one another. What I want to do uh, first, though, is I want to build a bridge from last week to this week. So last week, we were in 1 Corinthians 12. Uh, We looked at about 27 verses that primarily describe how the Holy Spirit has supernaturally gifted every Christian to engage in ministry and serving within the church. And so most of what we learned about last week and most of what we read about was thematically describing serving, working within the church. But we ended with two verses in 1 Corinthians 12, 26 and 27, that really give a sense of vibrance and life to our serving. Here's where we ended last week. Verse 26. If anyone suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. So after 25 verses in 1 Corinthians 12 of laying out a foundation for our serving, working, doing ministry together, the Apostle Paul ends with describing the relationships that should be embedded in our serving. We should be serving in such a way that whatever impacts your life impacts my life. If somebody that you're serving with endures an event, a a season of suffering, and it impacts their life, you should feel that impact. And equally so, if somebody you're serving with, right, uh, experiences some sorts of rejoicing and some excitement in the Lord, that you should feel the impact of that. So we're not just showing up on Sunday mornings, putting on our volunteer lanyards, 
taking our place, knocking out our task, doing our job, and going home, right? But that this serving is right, embedded within the community of our relationship with one another. And so this morning, we're gonna, we're gonna move deeper into the community of Christ and what it truly means to love one another. So what I wanna do first is let's just, let's just lay out a moment of honesty, if we shall. If we think about the people in our life that we are called to love, and we, we place them on a spectrum, and on one end is easy to love, and on the other end is difficult to love, the moment of honesty is this. The entire spectrum is difficult. Those even who are easiest to love in our lives right, are still hard to love. The people who fall on your spectrum that should be easy to love, maybe your spouse, your children, your good friends, even at times our own children are hard to love. So this call and this command to love is not a call and a command to an easy thing, as we'll see in just a few minutes, or a convenient thing, right? But it's going to be difficult to truly love the way Christ has called us to love. Here's the reason why. Because we're all sinners, because we're all sinners, we are all still struggling with, with self-centered agenda and motives. And it's hard to love self-centered people, isn't it? It's what makes it at times hard to love our own children when they're strong-willed, self-centered, pushing their own agenda, right? And it, we, it's difficult sometimes to love them. And so when we get within the context of the church, we're still loving people, saved people, People who have the Holy Spirit of God who are still struggling, though, with putting self to death. And so loving truly is a difficult thing because we're called to love sinners. Well, in 1 John 3, verse 11 is where we're really going to get started this morning. So we're, we're reading the words that God is speaking through the apostle John. John was one of the original 12 disciples Matter of fact, he was inside the inner circle of disciples and described by his own testimony as the one in whom Jesus loved. Now, what John wasn't saying is that Jesus didn't love the other disciples or love any person on earth. What John was saying is that he and Jesus had this very intimate relationship and all of all that he understood about the purposes of Jesus, he, he understood love. Matter of fact, that's a significant theme in his gospel. And so, so now we're reading from 1 John. This is a letter that he's written to the church. It's no surprise that what comes up in the letter is this topic of love. So in verse 11, he says this. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. And so when he says that we've heard it from the beginning, he's going all the way back to the life and ministry of Jesus. Even in his own gospel, he quotes Jesus in John 13, giving us this command to love one another. If we go back to John 13, 34 and 35, uh, listen to the words of Jesus. He captures the words of Jesus commanding his followers to love one another. And look at what Jesus notes, starting in verse 34 of John 13. Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And then this statement from Jesus in verse 35, by this 
all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So Jesus says our command is this, that we love one another. How? Just as he has loved one another. Is it hard to love sinners? Yes. Ask Jesus. Right? Jesus is saying the same way that I love sinners, people who are selfish, people who are pushing their own agenda, people who don't love you back, in that same way I'm calling you to love others. And did you catch that remarkable statement? This is your identity marker as my church. This is how the people outside the church will know that you're my followers by the way you love one another. And so this is a primary identity marker of followers of Jesus. This is not an add-on to our faith, something that a few of us are supposed to be doing or good at. Everybody who follows Jesus who has been loved well is to be what? Loving others well. If you're taking notes with us this morning or you'd like to, we put sermon notes in the seats in front of you. Loving one another is a primary identity marker of the church. Primary. So when we come to Jesus and say, it's hard to love sinners, Jesus says, I know. Right? It's hard to follow you. Jesus says, here's what it means to follow me. It means that you understand how well I've loved you. But loving sinners is like it requires patience, and I don't have much. And Jesus says what? I know, it does require patience, and I'm patient with you on a daily basis. Loving, loving, loving sinners, Jesus, is just so hard because they don't love me back. And Jesus says what? I, I know, because I love you. And I know what it's like to love those who don't love you back. Jesus is saying a primary identity marker, if you're following me, is that you will love others the way I love. But then he, he adds on to it. Matter of fact, let me tell you how important this is. Other people are going to know who you are by this distinctive, how well you love one another. And so we see that not only is this an identity marker of the church, how well we love one another directly impacts the mission of the church. Directly. We're supposed to be a church on mission, right? Loving our neighbors well, loving our community well, loving the nations well, taking the good news of the gospel to every person on the earth. And Jesus is saying what? Here's how they'll know that you're mine. First, by how well you love one another. Now, we've got to do something here. We've got to define love, don't we? Let's just be honest. We are immersed in a culture of a multifaceted idea of love. I, I, learned, I learned a lot about love from counseling ministry and watching people love or not love one another well. And I'm finding more and more in premarital counseling and then oftentimes in postmarital counseling or crisis counseling that we oftentimes and almost always start off our relationships with a misunderstanding of love. So we need to define love. Better yet, we need God to define love for us. Because oftentimes what we mean when we say, I love you, is what? I love the way you make me feel. I love the way you make me feel about myself. 
I love the, the pitter-patter, what's the matter, right? Whenever we're holding hands for the first time and we're goo-gooing in each other's eyes and, and we're describing these romantic attraction-like traits of love and, and we measure love that way oftentimes, don't we? And then we get married, right? And then before the honeymoon is over, there's no more pitter-patter, what's the matter? When I look at you, matter of fact, my blood pressure is rising, but it's not a good rising. I'm frustrated with you, right? And so then we have this bogus idea of love, like we could fall in and out of love, like love is this feeling that ebbs and flows, and we just go along with it. Well, we need God to, to lay an understanding of love before us so that we understand what it means to love one another. Because I'll be honest with you, I don't always feel like loving you. And you're awesome, right? And you don't always feel like loving me. And I don't always wake up in the morning when my alarm goes off and roll over to Hallie and, and look her in the eyes and say, I'm so in love with you. I just don't always feel it. But yet, I'm commanded and called to do it anyway. And so what John does in verse 16, this is 1 John 3, 16, is he starts with a definition of what love actually is. John says this, by this we know love that he, being Jesus, laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. So what John is doing, he's saying, let me define love for you. This, did you catch the word this? This is what love is. That Jesus did what? Laid down his life for us, that we might what? Lay down our lives for others. So love isn't measured according to God's perspective with how attracted I am to you at any given moment or, or what I'm feeling and how, right? I don't have to have goosebumps, nothing about goosebumps here in this definition of love, that there's something a little more foundational going on here, something a little more static and concrete going on here. Love is a decision I make, and it's measured by my willingness to lay myself down for you. The currency of love, in, from God's perspective, is self-sacrifice. How much I love you can be measured by my willingness to lay myself down for you. Now, I, I don't think in my life I've ever been put in a situation where I've had to lay my physical life down for anybody. I'd like to believe that I would, especially for my, my family. I like to think that it wouldn't even be a decision to make if my wife and her life is in jeopardy, I would willingly put my physical life in, in harm's way to lay myself down for her or for my boys and maybe about two or three others of you. <laughs> the rest of you, I've got to think about it for a minute. Now, hopefully, I'm going to say, yes, I'll do it, right? But so, so we know that, that love inherently brings with it a willingness to lay down self and to sacrifice. And so since more than likely most of us in the room haven't put our physical lives in harm's way, let's talk about the practical implications of this in our everyday life. When we're not in harm's way, what does it look like to truly love, sacrificially love the way that Jesus defines love? Well, I wanna, I wanna do this. I wanna stop for a minute and look at something from Galatians chapter six. There's a fairly familiar verse in Galatians chapter six where the Apostle Paul is writing the church, and he says in verse 2, bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. That if we're going to fulfill the law of Christ, it means we'll bear one another's 
burdens. So when I read that verse out of context, what I hear is when, when you endure suffering, I should be willing to help you. When you get a medical diagnosis, I should be willing to bring you a meal, check in on you, pray for you. When your car breaks down across town or even across the state, I'm willing just to go help you out. Or I find out you have some hardship, I'm, I'm quick to press in and say, can I help you financially? Could we do something to help? But in context, what Paul is talking about here, just for the record, he's not talking about specifically suffering. He's talking about sin. If we back up to verse 1, look at what he says. He says, brothers... If anyone in the church, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. And as you do that, keep watch on yourselves lest you too be tempted. So he's talking about sinful people. He's talking about hard to love. He's thinking about the love spectrum. He's saying, you know all those people who are on the far end of that spectrum who are hard to love because they're selfish, sinful people? Verse 2. Bear those people's burdens. Bear one another's burdens. That's the kind of burden he's talking about. And so fulfill the law of Christ. So he's not calling us to a convenient love. He's calling us to something incredibly difficult and incredibly inconvenient, that we would love even the folks on the far end of the spectrum who are just hard to love. Let's take a minute to talk about how this plays out practically on the ground for us. Love is, according to God's perspective, the willful choice to lay down your life for someone else. You see worth and value in another such that you would willingly lay down your life for them. This is love. So let's talk for a minute practically what this means. Love means then that we would be willing to lay down our agendas. To lay down our agendas. So... Probably like our house, in your house, you, you're somewhat agenda-driven. You have goals for the week, and you map out your week, and you have plans. Can I just say that um, your children are probably never going to get sick on schedule, right? So if we had to map out the week and say, okay, here's where it would be really convenient for you to get sick. If you could get sick on Saturday morning, not too early, maybe 10-ish, but by 2 o'clock, we need you to be better because your brother has a soccer game, and then we've got to get to community group. We've got all this kind of stuff going on. So we map it. It never happens that way, does it? No, it's on Monday morning when you wake up the kiddos. You're like, it's time to get out of bed and get ready. And you see that look in one of them's eyes. And you're like, oh, no. This does not look good. So you rub their little forehead, and it feels warm, and you're thinking, oh, let's, uh, let's just give them a few minutes. Let's let them get out. Let's throw them in the cold shower. Then let's take their temperature. Let's just make sure this is what's going on here, right? Our kids never get sick on schedule. I don't know why. Uh, how about this? When, uh, how about marital troubles? Right? Typically happens after about 9 p.m. Escalades. I mean, it's midnight or so before it's full-blown chaos and right, needs some help. So you might, it might be your marriage, or you might be getting a phone call, text message, email from somebody else. Would you pray for us? Or can I come talk to you? Or I need a place to sleep tonight. Like, it n- never happens in a convenient time. Like, hey, yeah, if y'all could just have marital trouble, like, on Tuesday during my lunch break, that would be awesome. I'll give you that time. But it's never convenient, is it? Never happens according to our agendas. Crisis in other people's lives, ours as well, it never happens according to what's convenient. If we're going to love one another the way that Jesus loves us, we've got to be willing, right, to lay down our own agendas, to put aside what we had planned 
and to say, hey, I'm here. I'm here. What do you need? This is what was going on, but it's going to be okay. Let me make a phone call. Let me shoot a text to somebody. Let me just take care of it. I'm here. What do we need? What do we need to do? Not only that, love means laying down your personal preferences. Ouch. We're typically pretty good at this um, early on in relationships, especially dating, right? We go eat things we really wouldn't like to go eat. We go watch movies we'd rather not go watch. We, right, we go for long walks with the sunset and right, all this kind of romantic stuff. The stuff that, you know, at least for me, doesn't get me going. But we do it. We, we lay down our lives in those moments. Not, again, not necessarily because we truly know what it means to love, but because we love the way that person makes us feel, the way that person makes us feel about ourselves, And we love that feeling. So we lay ourselves down and we eat the, the Chinese food, or the, the Mexican food, something we wouldn't normally eat. But then what happens, right? What do you want to eat tonight? I don't know. What do you want to eat? I don't care. Well, I don't care either. Okay, I was thinking maybe we could go to uh, Mexican food. Ooh, that just doesn't, mm, no. <laughs> thought you said you didn't care. Well, I thought you said you didn't care, right? <laughs> personal preferences boil up pretty quickly, right? And they're, they're, they, right? our lives are steeped in personal preferences. This is what I want to happen, how I want it to happen, and this is what I like versus what you like, and Right? And so, but to love well, we've got to be willing to do what? To lay down our personal preferences. To say for the sake of another, what, what I like doesn't really matter right now. What, 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 what gets me going right now, what I'm interested in, really isn't, isn't, a, right, isn't a matter to be discussed right now. I'm willing to lay my life down for you because I love you. Here's another area that's going to be pretty challenging. Loving means laying down your pet peeves. Ouch. This means the things that irritate you or get on your nerves. If we're not careful, pet peeves will, will present themselves as the voice of the Holy Spirit in our life. Yeah. <laughs> we'll let our pet peeves guide us and we'll blame it on the Holy Spirit. Right? I just feel like God's leading us to a new community group. Okay, well, let's talk about what's going on in the community group. And you get down to the matter, and it's, oh, they're getting on your nerves? Oh, he chews with his mouth open, and you don't like the way they parent, and right? See, our pet peeves, if we're not careful, can trump the voice of the Holy Spirit, and we'll blame it on the Holy Spirit. It's where God's leading me in life, and we're just running from the things that irritate us. If we're going to love one another well, we've got to be willing to lay down our pet peeves, the things that push our buttons for the sake of others. Right? If we're going to love everybody on the spectrum, we're going to have to love people that irritate us and get on our last nerve. We have to die to our last nerve. And so loving means that we're willing to lay down our pet peeves. How about this? Uh, where are my to-do list people in the room? To-do list people? You know who you are. I love you guys, by the way. You guys rock. Y'all make me so much more productive. I think I do it, there's about twice a year I'll set a to-do list and go by, and I am so productive on those days. But the vast majority of the other days, I need people around me who are to-do list people, right? You guys are awesome. And, uh, and so I value to-do list people, but what's the problem, right? If, if it's not on our to-do list, we ain't doing it. 
And so if loving you is on my to-do list, Tuesday, go have lunch with Brian Lamb and let him cry on your shoulder and pat him on the back. And if it's on my to-do list, I'm good with it. Why? It's, I'm prepared for it. It's, I've got time set aside for it. But if Brian comes to me and says, I just need a hug, and it's not on my to-do list, I'm, well, let's, make, let's set an appointment. <laughs> it's my way of saying, yeah, you're not on my list, buddy. I love to-do list people. If we're not careful, though, We'll choose not to love, right, because love isn't one of our tasks. Um, I used to be much more guilty of this on Sunday mornings. I'm trying to grow in it. You guys are giving me grace. But there was a time where on Sunday mornings I was so task-driven, the things that needed to be done were so, so, so thick in my brain that I oftentimes would walk down the hallway without smiling or saying hello. And then some of you would come catch me after a service and, you know, are you okay? I was just praying for you through that whole story. Are you okay? I'm like, yeah, I think so. Why? Why? Well, you just before the sermon, like I saw you in the hallway and you smile at me or say hello. I thought something was wrong. I'm like, oh no, no, I was I was headed to the stage to check the batteries in the microphone. I'm sorry. I love you. And so, right? We've got to be willing what, to set aside our to-do list if we're gonna love people well, the way that Jesus loves us. And this last, but definitely not least, component. Loving. The way Jesus loves us means laying down your comfort. Ouch. Laying down your comfort. We, we, we thrive in comfort. We organize our lives based on what's comfortable. We, 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 we plan the amount of stress we're comfortable with. Don't add anything else to it. But here's what I'm willing to do this week. I think I can manage this. Here's where I want to eat and what I want to eat. Here's when I want to come home. Here's when I want to take a shower. Here's when I want to chill out. And here's where I want to go to sleep. And this is when I want to wake up. And then, right, inevitably, you know, 20 minutes before the alarm goes off, you hear the pitter-patter of little kiddos' feet coming into your bedroom, and all of a sudden they're sick. Or you get that phone call or text, and your phone goes off, and you're like, oh, my gosh, what time is it? Who is it? And all of a sudden you're needed for something, and it's uncomfortable. But if you're going to love people the way Jesus loves us, sacrificially, you're going to have to be willing to lay down your comfort. And it might mean that you have to go about your work week or your work day the next day on two hours of sleep. I'm just telling you, if you're going to love people well, that's going to happen. Or no sleep at all. To be outside of your comfort zone for the sake of others. Love is the willful choice to lay down your life for someone else. Now, in verse 17 and 18, John is going to give us, again, some practical implications of what this should look like in the church. Look at what he says in verse 17. So this is an example. He says, but if, if anyone has the world's goods, okay, meaning you have what you need, food, shelter, water, basics of life. If you have the world's goods and you see his your brother in need, yet, this, if this is your response, he yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? And it's a rhetorical question to make a point. You can't separate God's love for us from the way we love one another. John says, that's not gonna, that's not gonna fly with God. If you've been loved well, you will love well. Right? If you truly understand what it means to be loved sacrificially, that Jesus laid his life down for you, right? you won't be perfect at it, but there will be evidence, tangible evidence in your life 
Here's an example. When you have what you need, the goods of this world, food, shelter, maybe it's cash on hand, whatever it is, and you see somebody in need, yet your response is to close the door, then John says, you better check your heart. Better yet, you better check your relationship with God. I'm concerned for you because your, your actions aren't backing up, right, your declaration. Look at what he says next. Little children, let us not love in word or talk, I love you, but what? In deed, which is action, and truth. What does he mean by truth? That the words that come out of our mouth will be true, right? Beyond lip service, beyond I love you and hope you have a good day, we would back that up whenever they're not having a good day and we would act on it. We would move beyond what's convenient, comfortable, right? For the sake of others. Let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Loving one another the way Jesus loves us requires an open heart, a heart that is open to the needs of others. Do you keep your radar on for the needs of others? Are you constantly looking around? Where is there a need that I could help out with? Are you paying attention to what people say when you ask them how they're doing or you read a prayer request? Somebody begins to share subtly something going on in their life. Are you listening? Is your radar on for how you might be able to help? Hey, I just uh, I heard you say something about both kiddos got sick this week. Um, could, I, could I bring you over a meal? Right? Not just in word, but in deed and truth. Hey, I just I noticed on the prayer request, uh, you know, with our community group, or I noticed this prayer request that um, you've got a doctor's appointment coming up next Tuesday. Um, can... Can I, can I pray, pray for you more specifically? Do you need a ride? Um, what if I just, I mean, I know you don't need it. What if I just brought over a meal the night before so y'all aren't worrying about it and you guys can just focus on what you need to focus on? Um, what about the kiddos? You know, do you need somebody to help pick up the kids from school? See, practically living out with our actions what we say. Is your, is your radar turned on for opportunities to love others? Is your heart open for needs that might come up? But not only that, not only do we need to have an open heart, we need to have a heart that is willing to meet the needs of others through personal sacrifice. A willingness to meet the needs of others through personal sacrifice. This is what love is. Despite what, how our culture has lied to you, um, young teenagers in the room, Despite this bogus definition of love that, that you're trying to grab a hold of and your understanding of what it means to love one another, like this is what love is. Ephesians 5, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. How? By laying himself down for her. This is what love is. It's finding value and worth in another that would cause you to willingly lay your life down physically, practically, in the most subtle ways for the sake of that other person. An open heart and a willing heart to meet the needs of others through personal sacrifice. All right. Would you, would you join me in welcoming to the stage um, Nick Hill and Brian Walker? Come on up, guys. Man. Come up on stage, guys. Uh, both of these gentlemen lead uh, ministries in our church that help us engage in this command to love one another 
uh, from a biblical perspective. I want to introduce each of these guys and the ministry that they're involved in leading so that you can have a better idea of what's going on behind the scenes. And so let me first begin by uh, introducing to you uh, Nick Hill. Nick is one of our resident pastors here. He's about a month from finishing up the, the pastoral residency process. We'll be ordaining Nick in June. And uh, in addition to that, he also leads our counseling ministry here at the church, which means two things. Uh, one, Nick uh, organizes and leads our counseling training. So at least once a year, sometimes twice a year, we do a nine-week counseling training for you. It's for, for the members of the church to, uh, to come and to get equipped to do that, which God has already called you to do, whether it's formal counseling or informal counseling. We've all been called to counsel. So Nick leads that training, and he also helps organize and lead our counseling ministries. And so that doesn't just mean that he's the only one counseling, but he's coaching our counselors, coaching me, we're coaching each other. And so he helps organize and lead that ministry. And so Nick, I want to begin here. So for us as a church, um, we have partnerships with other counseling ministries and agencies, and we, we, we participate in that at, at times. But, but for us as a church, the first thing we do when somebody comes to us for counseling is we, we lean in towards the church. Um, counseling within the context of community. So if you wouldn't mind for just a minute, what, Nick, what are some of the benefits of, especially in light of what we talked about today, counseling within the context of the church? For, for us as a church, the biblical counseling ministry is important. It's huge. Is your mic on? Is this on? There you go. I just need to get my mic voice. <clears throat> All right. It's huge because exactly what we've been talking about in scripture is the community aspect of counseling is that we are already a family. We are already a part of uh, the church that Christ has built up. And so with the counseling, we come alongside with the ministries of prayer, uh, worship, and the preaching and the teaching. It's an extension of God's word and discipleship. And if we go outside of the church first, there's not that community. There's um, there's almost an isolation in it that you're having to deal with something outside of your family. And so this person may not understand everything about it. I see you guys and you see me, um, me and my wife. Uh, you see me and how I raise my kids and I see how you raise your kids. And those are important things that God has created in our community. And it makes it much more powerful when we, we confess our sins and when we do those things inside the church and in the community. That's a, you bring up a good point, Nick, um, confession of sin, because oftentimes counseling means talking about things that aren't comfortable talking about, right? And so um, you know, sometimes there's a hesitation to want to receive counsel, to be honest about our stories within the church walls. Could you speak to that? Why do you think it is that some, some of us, maybe all of us on some level, struggle with the idea of being real and honest within the context of church community? Ultimately, we're sinners, all of us. And so with that, we have flawed thinking. And part of that, I feel, is that we worry about what other people are going to think about us. We're worried that they're going to judge us or they're like, oh, my goodness, they struggle with that? Oh, my. Like, we, we run all these thoughts through our head, and those are just lies from Satan, to be honest, to create isolation from the community. And the other part of that driving force is fear, fear that somebody's going to judge us and fear that we're going to be exposed. And it's, it's a, an extremely intimate thing to do that in front of people you care about and love. And so a lot of those things drive it. And even for myself growing up, I feared telling other people about sin because I thought the absence of sin was a healthy person. And that's not the case. As I've grown in my walk with the Lord and I see elders and our teachers here is that it's the confession of sin 
and recognizing our struggle and our deep-seated need for Christ, that is a healthy Christian. And so when we as a church start understanding our need for Christ and our need to confess and for all of us to use our giftings that we've been speaking about to love one another in community, to grow each other up, to speak the truth in love and in unity and confessing our sins, that's when our discipleship is just going to explode. It'll be something that we've never seen or understood before when we start seeing people being honest. And here's the thing, we all sin. We should not fear each other. We are all in the same boat. What we should do is come alongside of each other and encourage each other and pray for each other. And so I think when we do that, we're just going to see a personal change that you will have never experienced in the church as a whole. And then it's just going to flow out into our community and our, our, our world. Amen. I couldn't, I couldn't have said it any better. Thank you, Nick, for sharing that. Um, I want to introduce to you Brian Walker. Brian and I have been friends for a long time. Brian's been serving uh, here at the church, leading um, our care team. And not everybody knows what the care team is or what the care team does. So if you wouldn't mind, just give us an overview of what the care team does in terms of loving one another and caring for the church. Uh, the care team here at Solid Rock has two, uh, I guess you'd say, overarching functions. But one is, is first to serve uh, our church body. And so if somebody within our church body has a need that uh, maybe they need help with an electric bill or a water bill or... Uh, their mortgage or rent, you know, something like that. They, you know, maybe from a job loss or whatever the situation is, uh, you know, we, we get involved and, and help evaluate that and see how we can help, whether it's with, you know, finances or in some cases uh, we have a food pantry. It might be distributing food, uh, maybe even physical needs. You know, uh, if it's, a, you know, say a single mom or somebody that needs help with, uh, you know, their yard being mowed or oil change or whatever it is, uh, you know, whether it's a, a monetary or physical need, then we try to uh, meet those needs. And then uh, also members of the community that are outside the church, uh, you know, on occasion we get requests in that regard. So we, we also try to help, you know, members in the community whenever we get those requests as well. Okay, awesome. It's a very, very important ministry of, of loving one another. Um, we just heard from First John 3 about um, how um, our actions... Our deeds should back up what we say when we say we love one another and in very practical ways. And so would you take a second just to expand upon our biblical responsibility to care for one another? Um, so within those kind of two areas that we serve in, whether it's someone that's outside of our church body that maybe is an unbeliever or whether it's someone within the body that's a believer, uh, there's a couple of different uh, ways that you can look at that for, say, someone that's, that's unbelieving, uh, if I can rely on my notes here for a moment. For someone who's unbelieving, if you look at, uh, say, Romans 2.4, where it talks about God's kindness leading us towards repentance, uh, kindness is synonymous with benevolence, which is kind of the, the nature of that ministry. So if it's someone that we're dealing with that's an unbeliever, I mean, they might be, they might be addicted to drugs or uh, any, any number of other things that, that's a uh, you know, habitual sin that's keeping them in that place but affecting other areas of their life and they've come to us for help, you know, then it's not that we condone their sin and so we're going to help them in their sin. No, it's that, you know, by showing them God's love through helping them with an electric bill or a water bill or giving them food, we want to demonstrate God's love to them in the hopes that maybe that kindness that we're expressing to them uh, would lead them towards repentance and, and the opportunity to share the gospel with them. Uh, for someone that's within the body, uh, that's a believer, uh, when you look at Acts 2, 44 and 45, where it talks about, you know, how, 
you know, the, the believers had everything in common, that if someone had need, then someone would sell their possessions, uh, you know, to help their brother. Or like, you know, Jason pointed out in, in John, uh, 1 John three seventeen, uh, this morning, that, you know, if, if I have a brother that has need, uh, that's a familial relationship uh, through Christ. If I have a brother that has need and I can meet that need, uh, then I need to do that, not as a matter of necessarily uh, duty or obligation, but out of love that, hey, you know, I'd, if, if I were in that position and I needed food, you know, I would certainly, you know, hope that someone would help me in that way or whatever the need is. And so if I have the ability to meet that need, then I step out in faith, you know, even if it's stretching me, you know, to do the same thing for them. Well, I so, so appreciate the ministries that you guys lead. A lot of this goes on behind the scenes, and so I wanted everybody to kind of be aware of these two ministries and uh, greatly appreciate what both of you do. I've asked both Nick and Brian to hang around um, after the service in case you've got more questions for them, God's stirring in your heart, and you want to find out more about either the counseling ministry or training or uh, the care ministry here at the church. You can go back and ask them and find out more about that. So, hey, guys, appreciate your time this morning. Appreciate what you do. Thank you. Well, I want to end with this, uh, this reminder. So we're, we're on a mission together as Christians. You don't have an option here. If you're in Christ, he's called you to this mission, to make disciples of the nations. And in Matthew 28, Jesus explains that mission by saying this. Here's how you carry out that mission, by baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then teach them to observe or obey all that I've commanded. And so what Jesus has commanded us in John 13 is this. A new command I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So here's what I want to do now. I want to pray for us as our worship team comes back up. I want to pray for you. Um, I'll just say this this morning. If you do not know the love of Christ, most of what we talked about this morning is probably falling on deaf ears. Maybe hard for you to understand why you would be interested at all in laying yourself down for somebody else. And so first and foremost, we want you to know that Jesus has demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, he laid his life down for us. And he's done that for you. The cross wasn't just this token moment in history. Jesus was literally taking your place, taking your punishment, will, willingly laying his life down for you. And he's extended a promise to us in this that if we will in faith believe that he is the son of God, that he has died for our sins and resurrected from the grave, that we will have complete forgiveness of sins in eternity with him. And that can be yours today. I wanna pray for us. And if that's you today, I wanna encourage you uh, to consider making that decision. If you'd like for somebody to pray with you, as always, our prayer partners will be in the back and ready to pray with you and for you, talk with you more about that. Let's pray together as we prepare to respond. Father, we thank you that you have first loved us. Thank you that you give us bearings for love. You haven't left it up to us to decide what love is or how it should look. You've not only described it for us, you've displayed it for us in Christ. This morning, first and foremost, I pray for any person here that doesn't know you personally, that today would be the day of salvation. If that's you here today and you desire to have a relationship with God, it happens by simply praying and believing in your own heart 
that Jesus truly is who he says he is. He's the son of the living God. And that he has truly done what he says he has done. He has died for your sins and risen again. By believing in that truth, you can come to God in your own heart with your own word to let him know, I believe. I believe in you and I trust you and I, I want you to be my savior. I can live eternally with you. Pray that prayer in your own heart. Welcome to the family of God. For the rest of us that are maybe challenged this morning to think about our love for one another, that today would, through the power of his Holy Spirit, would refine our motives. I, I pray right now, as hard and painful as it can be, that the Holy Spirit would bring to mind our pet peeves, our, our personal preferences, our personal agendas and, and bring those things to the surface that we might lay those things down willingly at the cross in order to love one another well. Holy Spirit, would you do that work in us this morning, we pray.